Welcome to Vintage History, the podcast that merges wine and history, the two best things. Two history teachers, united by their love of wine and passion for history, needed an excuse to drink, so we made up a podcast. Oh, feels like ages since I've seen you. <laughs> this week, or this episode, we are doing the year 1843. So, what happened in 1843? <laughs> The first minstrel show in the United States, the Ooh. Virginia Minstrels, opened. Ooh, um, okay. Uh, the first major wagon train heading for the Pacific Northwest sets, sets out on the Oregon Trail with 1,000 pioneers from Missouri. Oh, no wait. That late? Yeah. I don't know. In my head, American history, it, it starts later than I think it does. 1843 is the start of the Oregon Trail. Yep, that's it. Wow. Uh, the first serious clash of arms between Maori people uh, or Maori and British settlers in the New Zealand wars takes place. Mm. Treaty of Nanking came into effect, which made Hong Kong Island British in perpetuity. Oh, gosh. Till 1997, uh, In October, the News of the World tabloid newspaper uh, begins publication in London. News of the world. News of the world. Well, that's definitely good for everyone. Yeah. Uh, and Hawaii. Um, became officially recognised by the United Kingdom of France as an independent nation in November. Oh. Uh, famous birthdays? One that will come up later. We've got Frederick Abeline, the English police officer. Uh, William McKinley, 25th president of the US. Pretty cool. Uh, Henry Folds, the uh, Scottish physician and mini- mi- missionary. Um, he developed fingerprinting. Oh, that's pretty cool. And Robert Koch. German microbiologist, I know where you put that one in there. My kids can't cope with it when I teach them about cock. (laughs) (laughs) Don't say that too often Uh, in public when people don't know the context. The Nobel Prize winner for uh, physiology or medicine, as in the guy who did work on bacteria and, yeah. yeah. Pasteur has a more sensible name. Louis Pasteur people can cope with, no one can cope with Bobby Cock. Bobby (laughs) Cock. We are mature. What are you talking about? Okay, so this week's episode, what have we got? What what are our uh, event, person, invention, idea? Well, person's Frederick uh, Abeline, the um, police officer involved in the Ripper cases. Event is the publishing of A Christmas Carol. God bless us, everyone. And the invention... I like this one. The Thames Tunnel. Good one. And... Call back to a previous episode where we talked about Richard Trevithick. Yeah, it comes up again. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, let's start with a Christmas carol then. Event. Marley was dead. <laughs> to begin with. That's how it starts. Oh, Christmas the carol. The ghost story that is Christmas carol. Uh, who I think has been studied by every single <laughs> English child ever for the history of the last 50 years. I didn't probably. do it at school. Did you not? No. Um... Essentially, one of the world's most loved, well-known and imitated Christmas stories. 100 um, film versions. 20 yeah. TV series have featured A Christmas Carol um, or its characters. Four operas, two ballets and a computer game. I really want to know what the computer yeah, game never is. Played the computer game. Um, essentially, tells the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, who is a Scrooge, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a notorious miser. His signature retort, bah humbug, uh, basically hates Christmas, um, is more concerned about his uh, just accruing wealth. Mm. And what does he say about people? Uh, detests people who suffer on the streets of industrial London and says, if they would rather die, they'd better do it and decrease the surplus population 
So nice guy. And this is it. Dickens is having experienced extreme poverty in his own mm-hmm. lifetime. He's trying to make the point to his readers because having wealth doesn't mean that you're going to be remembered well. Yeah, and through the book of... Uh, well, if, you've <coughs> it, if you haven't read it, well, you must be the only person that's not read it ever. Um, he's visited by a series of ghosts who take him on a journey through his past, present and future um, and convince him that he's a miserly old Scrooge that needs to change. That's a nice thing, isn't it? It's like He sees his joy... Joyful past, mm. detestable present, and this ominous future, and it's, that's kind of the the narrative, isn't it? It's we can all look back on the past fondly, but if we want to make the future positive, we need to do something in the present. Yeah, and um, actually, fun fact about Christmas Carol is that Dickens wrote it in about six weeks. And when you think the time that we waste on holidays, <laughs> it's so depressing to think that. How many how many summer holidays have I had as, as a teacher so far? Five or six. And Dickens wrote A Christmas mm-hmm. Carol, which is like... Other than the story of Jesus, it is the one that everyone knows about Christmas. And what do I do with my six weeks? Podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he doesn't actually make that much money off it, does he? No, he doesn't. And he ends up chasing like pirated copies for quite a lot of the time because people are just throwing out ones that he hasn't agreed to. Yeah, I did like the fact that um, he doesn't make much money from it because he's really sort of pernickety about how it's bound and printed. So he uses like really expensive material and that means that he loses the money on the yeah, book. It, it doesn't sell for what it needs to do, does it? Yeah. Uh, all but the best version of A Christmas Carol, what would you go for? See, I love Scrooged with Bill Murray. Oh, yeah, that is I quite good. There is the Muppet Christmas Carol. However, there is a new animated one on Netflix as well that's oh, just yeah. come out called Scrooge. And I was like, oh, a new Christmas film. And then when I looked at it, I was like, oh, it's just this again. So, like, there are, like, a billion versions of it. Patrick Stewart, that one's good. Oh, what Picard. that one? He's done a version. I, I forced my hmm. parents to watch it one year. It was, I mean, it's Patrick Stewart. It's got to be good. Yeah, it will be good, yeah. But Our event, that's when Christmas Carol first appeared. So, I guess his social commentary on um, things at the time is quite significant, isn't it? And mm. that, that idea of Dickensian literature where he's sort of commenting on poverty versus wealth and things like that. You could argue that that changes the idea of eventually having a welfare state and the fact that laissez-faire approaches aren't suitable. You could even say that this is feeding into suffrage and more people being given the vote. Yeah, and um, philanthropy that mm-hmm. takes off in the 1850s to 1900s by people like, you know, Roundtree and those sorts of things. Yeah. So it could have had a knock-on effect. I mean, the fact that there have been a 100 versions of it is quite significant, but, yeah. Sure, it carries more weight than you'd expect. Yeah. Idea or invention? <laughs> Our invention. Tunnelling beneath a river, which you would have thought... Had- happened by 1843 but it hasn't there have been attempts they've failed it finally happens the opening ceremony takes place on the 25th of march 1843 and they walk through the tunnel from rotherhide to wapping uh on one of the carriageways um and then back along the other carriageway so mark isambard brunel uh, not isambard kingdom brunel it's his dad yeah so he is the person that cracks this problem um and he does it because he uses a 
uh, different kind of tunneling method that uses like a shield, it's and a, it's like a concrete thing, it's isn't it? It's a tube, yeah. and it means that you're kind of reinforcing the bit that you're digging as you go going through, along. like a creature burrowing through the. And material. that's how he discovers it, isn't it? He he thinks of the idea of the shield having observed the borings of a teredo worm in a piece of wood. Essentially, there he's the first successful one. Two people have previously, oh, three people have previously mm-hmm. failed, including our old friend Richard Trevithick. The giant Cornishman. The government rescued the project with a loan of £246,000. Which in modern money is extortionate. Yeah, it's not really good value for money at the time. The the people that build it at the time actually lose money on it, don't they? (coughs) Yeah, but it achieves something incredible. I mean, the man himself was pretty cool. Born in Normandy, 1769. Then he fled to America from the French Revolution. Then he came to England as an engineer. Married an English woman, and then his son goes on to become the railway engineer and builder of steamships. So, the when does work start on his tunnelling? He he first set his mind to the building of a tunnel in 1820, but the project had been attempted twice before then. So, the first tunnel from Gravesend to Tilbury was uh, was proposed by Ralph Dodd, uh, but that had to be relinquished. And the second tunnel is the one that was put forward by Richard Trevithick. 1804 is when Parliament kind of greenlit his attempt i love how why he's failed though to be thick i didn't blame uh, user <laughs> user error is that Pretty what he says it, they're digging it and they're kind of getting towards the deepest part and somebody says i think it's gone a little bit off course you know and he overhears the fella saying this and he's like I, i'm not having that I, I, my my calculations are precise and he goes and gets a boat and he goes out onto the course and he gets metal rods and starts hammering them down through the river to go my tunnel's just under here well it is and it ends up <laughs> oh well yeah brunel gets the go-ahead to start his tunnel um and the grand opening ceremony is attended by the lord mayor of london michael faraday mm. yeah but essentially it's a roaring success in the sense of it works yes uh, Queen Victoria visits, walks through the tunnel. Uh, he gets a knighthood at the suggestion of, of Prince does. Albert. Um, and on the first anniversary of the tunnel opening, a three-day fair was held in the tunnel, attended by 66,000 <laughs> people. That's pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah. The original plan was for it to be accessible to horses and carriages, but um, initially only accessible to pedestrians because there's loads of stairs. <laughs> yeah, because he wants to do like a sloped passage, doesn't he, at either side so they can have vehicles, mm. but that never gets built because it's not making any money. <laughs> well, yeah, so um, essentially it has to be... The, the original estimate in 1823 was uh, £160,000, but in 1843 that had risen to over £4,000 with a further £200,000 required to construct the roadways at either end, so they wow. didn't happen. So actually it costs about five times more than was intended. But, I mean, it is incredible that it stretches right... That it- Goes under the river. It's never been a. Achieved. Yeah, he. Uh, but it, essentially, it's, it becomes clear that it won't be a commercial success, uh, and provides that <laughs> the shareholders get no dividends. They flog it, though, don't they? They sell yeah. it to the railway company, and they turn it into a. So essentially, the Thames Tunnel Company's funds dry up, and in 1862, it was sold to the East London Railway Company for two hundred thousand pounds. 
So, like, a substantial loss compared to the cost of uh, construction. But it's then used for steam train services uh, in 1870 and eventually comes part of the London Underground and electrified in 1913. Mm. So it's still... I've probably been on it. Mm. That's pretty cool. Through it. His son, he was, like, the engineer-in-chief on the... uh, tunnel mm. for quite a few years his, his dad did have a total meltdown after it had been completed <laughs> went into I think they call it a state of paralysis oh. um, so yeah. how does he do it so he builds he built a cylinder of brick and cement 42 feet high with walls 3 feet thick strengthened with iron rods and bands that weighed over a thousand tonnes yeah and it's like they, they build it underground and then as you're digging it out you're slowly moving it along down the tunnel it's just it was sunk to a depth of 65 feet. Uh, but essentially, his technology and his tunnel building proves that you can do it. Yeah. Um, and it also leads to further tunnelling. It's the method that they use today, really, isn't it? I know there's yeah. pneumatics and things involved now, but that idea of... Yeah, that was steam-powered, essentially, mm. but... I, I didn't realise that his dad, Isambard Kingdom Brunel's dad, was probably more impressive than... Isambard Kingdom Brunel. Mm. I mean, well, maybe. Right. Important. He built 1,600 kilometres of railway in the West Country. Mm. He also um, designed an army boot um, for the Napoleonic Wars and the government refused to use the design. And he lost all his money um, and he was put in prison in 1821 for debt. Debt. So a little bit like uh, from the last episode, Isaac Newton, (laughs) not particularly good at managing his money. Hey, also, his designs also include the first floating landing piers at Liverpool. There's loads of tunnels that are now in operation and are still in operation. So the Rotherhive Tunnel is still in operation. The Blackwall Tunnel is now um, a traffic tunnel, mm-hmm. so that's for cars. Um, but then you've got also the um, Greenwich Tunnel, which is a subway for foot passengers, and that uh, goes from Greenwich uh, to the Isle of Dogs, and that opened in 1902. And... Um, the borough of Woolwich now has a foot tunnel that was built in 1912 because the ferry that goes across from Woolwich to North Woolwich um, was often ha- uh, suspended because of fog, so they built a tunnel as well. Brunel leads to all tunnels I'd in say London. he's the foundation of tunnels, but he's kind of the opposite, isn't he? The There's no word for him. sub-dations. Anyway. He's the route to success. Ah, uh, but that's the um, that's the famous Thames Tunnel. Cool. That led to all other tunnels, apparently. So So that was our invention. Yep. So now we need our person. Person. And now we're going to reveal the identity of Jack the Ripper. <laughs> our individual is the man who hunted Jack the Ripper, Frederick George Aberline. Was he in the film with Johnny Depp from Hell? Was he? Yeah. Was he Abelard? Yeah, I think okay. so. So um, he has been immortalised in film and in television in Ripper Street, the mm-hmm. BBC drama that isn't very flattering towards him. No, um, but I kind of feel a bit sorry for him because he tried his best and actually had some really good ideas. But um, yeah, he didn't have the greatest life. He was at the wrong time. Yeah. In modern policing, I think he would have been a success. At the time, he doesn't really achieve what he wants. But he... Um, he joins the Met in 1863, enjoys the job. He's stationed in Islington. He was disappointed to discover 
that police strategy appeared to be make yourself visible on the streets. Yeah, he wanted to go there to solve crimes, didn't he? He'd been reading the old um, Penny Dreadful magazines and he wanted to kind of solve crime and he discovered that that, that wasn't what policing was about. Yeah. It's not solving crimes, it's preventing. Uh, and also uh, <coughs> fixing the numbers. <laughs> so yeah. The crime statistics were like manipulated in favour of the police at the time. So he was personally horrified to discover that burglaries were being passed off as disturbances and stolen jewellery was being recorded as lost and all those sorts of things. So he forms a view that actually police constables should be making connections with the local population rather than just... Get to know your turf. Yeah, yeah. Um, But at the time, they were extremely distrustful of the police because the Met had only really been invented in 1829 and people thought they were like spying on them and all sorts. He was put in charge of the Cleveland Street scandal, which uh, started with apparently thieving telegraph boys and resulted in the naming of a royal equerry uh, and lots of others in a rent boy scandal. Wow. That was kind of one of his first cases. Um, He believed that you could get better tip-offs by sort of infiltrating the, the neighbourhood. Uh, and it says here, thanks to his diligence visiting pubs <laughs> in plain clothes. Uh, but anyway, uh, he had the largest arrest record than anyone else in his division, but also used these skills to sort of infiltrate mm. organisations like the Fenian Brotherhood of Irish Republicans, the precursor to the IRA. Um, but he was demoted. Yes, because that one with the kind of rent boy scandal, because it was involving government officials, one of the key pieces of evidence that would have like resulted in some senior people getting into a lot of bother got lost on its way to Downing Street, which destroys his career temporarily. Yeah, he also has personal misfortune in the fact that his first marriage uh, ends in the death of his wife after eight weeks. Yeah, consumption. That's really sad. Um. But um, he then sort of flings himself into work, uh, solves like loads of sort of petty and tedious and small crimes. And then in 1873, he's made inspector and promoted to H Division Whitechapel, although I suspect that that wasn't really a promotion. promotion. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But it's just at the right time, isn't it, for the rip cases? Aberline goes there and he is full of, you know, keen enthusiasm to clean up the streets of Whitechapel and uh, that reminds me of something yeah. that we didn't say about the tunnel oh. one of the reputations of the tunnel was at night that's where prostitutes used to hang out oh it all connects to he says that he's going to clean up uh, Whitechapel zero tolerance policy mm. which is good intentions uh, you know it's going to be a tough job there's like uh, marauding gangs uh, <laughs> an epidemic of begging <laughs> um, I mean, uh, violent crimes of- yeah he, he needs a new wife and he does find one. Uh, he, he meets Emma Beamont after she's been mugged. I feel like now that would probably be illegal, <laughs> but that's <laughs> fine. Uh, he moved to Scotland Yard, but then he comes back um, to investigate the brutal murder of Mary Ann Nichols on September the 1st, 1888. They bring him back because he knows the area, don't they? Yeah. It's like he will crack this case, um, but realistically doesn't happen because he's... It, He's messed about, like, this is when they bring down the bloodhounds yeah, to well, the... sniff it out, and he ends up being the face of police failure. Yeah, because the press ridicule the police, don't they, for, for this um, 
they've seen the bloodhounds being used elsewhere is it somewhere like the Netherlands or so I can't remember where it is I think it's, I think it's in York, or York yeah. but they've seen them be used and be effective so he decides that they will use them on this case and then the press report that the police have gone to the dogs literally mm. uh, and then they don't use them even though they probably would have actually been probably quite useful they reckon now don't they yeah uh, and he's, he, it's his idea to get police officers to dress up as women and stand around on the streets to see if they can spot anything bless him he tries. Yeah, they have several suspects, including uh, Montague John Druitt and uh, Severin Kolovsky. Yeah, they can't. They well, they can't pin it down. But he's not really helped by the fact that they're sort of like inundated with letters, false clues, muddled evidence. Um, yeah. yeah, and just yeah, it's not really helpful. He gets it? dragged off, doesn't he? He's dealing with all the hoax stuff. He's interviewing potential suspects. Dealing with the vigilante groups that are set up in the area, he doesn't get the chance to do his job and he ends up leaving the country, doesn't he? Yeah, he goes to work as a detective in Monte Carlo. That's pretty cool. Um, and retires to Bournemouth. And he doesn't die until 1929. Wow. Which is quite long. Uh, a coincidence, he was uh, buried in the same cemetery as a Ripper suspect, Montague Druitt. Mm. But he didn't get a gravestone, did he? Because mm. literally he doesn't have any family members left. But there is one there now. Yeah, that was put in in 2001, but still a good le- a legacy left behind, which was the compassion and careful consideration that he brought to the art of policing. Mm. So he was a sort of pioneer of policing at the time. That, and, and Johnny Depp played him in a film. Yeah, so it must be significant. But how significant? Yeah. Let's find out. Last orders. What is most significant out of A Christmas Carol, The Thames Tunnel and Frederick George Adam? Um No one's made a film of The Thames Tunnel. <laughs> oh, I bet they've made some films in The Thames Tunnel. True. Though, and true. it just hasn't been credited. I Fred Dippin has been down there. Oh, yeah, and yeah, a, yeah. Don't want to make him tunnel. <laughs> um, okay, so if that's our criteria... <laughs> We have to rule out the Thames Tunnel. No, I'm not. No, no. I, I don't think that's. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to rule out. Um, I'm going to rule out Frederick George Aberline. He seems like he was a compassionate guy, but I don't think he made a lasting impression as an individual on policing. Because even after the Ripper case, they're still pretty rubbish for yeah. quite a while. So I'm going to rule him out. I'm happy with that. Even though his, you know. His idea of policing was... His motive. His motive. Uh, was to sort of improve things. I think he had good intentions, but... We, we can't credit good intentions. It has to be actual achievements. And that means that we're left with Charles or Brunel. Um, well, if you ask any of the year 10 slash year 11s <laughs> at either of our schools, they'll... They'd probably be happy to never look at a Christmas Carol ever again, um, but that doesn't mean it's not significant. I mean, a social commentary mm. as a wider scope of Dickens, yes, it's had a hundred films made out of it. It is a pretty good story. It's gripping. It, yeah. it's it taps into human psyche, doesn't it? As far as historical significance goes, though, <coughs> yeah, doesn't change the world. Doesn't. It comments on what's really happened. I mean, we're currently living in Dickensian times again, so... Yeah. So yeah. does that mean... Right, Let, I'll write a book in six weeks about the state of... Uh, no, I won't. I'll, we've already established that I can't yeah, do yeah. anything in six weeks. But anyway. 
So we're left with... Thames Tunnel. Oh, yeah, hands down. I- I'm happy oh, I with that. This. I mean, it. so many tunnels around the world are thanks to that. Could you imagine as well, at the time, people just being like, what is this witchcraft? How have you built a thing underneath water? It blows your mind, doesn't it? it does. We just, like, actually, the idea of tunnels blow my mind. Like, the, the idea that there's a tunnel from England to France. Which, again, you Would have the come same from it. That's insane. That goes underneath an ocean. Yeah. A small one that's quite, you know, Some people swim it. But Yes. But no, I, I, hands down, it's the most historically significant of the three. Yeah, okay. Well done, Mark Isambard Brunel. More We've, credit deserved yeah. to you. I feel, I personally feel like the tunnels are really significant because I drive through the Blackwall Tunnel mm. every time I go home. So without that, I'd have to go all the way around, all the way around the Thames. How would I do that? Bridges. They, they did already oh, have bridges. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want to go over the water. That's stupid. Uh, dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we settled on Mark Isambard Brunel's Thames Tunnel. And what a Christmassy one to choose to win. Yeah, well, longevity and influence, I think. Brunel bless us, everyone. <laughs> Thanks, Tiny Simon. <laughs> well, there you go. Cool. Well, go I'm... visit a tunnel for Christmas. Go get yourself into a tunnel. Get, get yourself underground. Oh no. <laughs> Maybe actually don't, because they're <coughs> there are now trains in them. Yeah. Maybe Google. Go ride on a train. Oh yeah, ride it. Yeah. Oh, you can't ride on trains. They don't run anymore. <laughs> Broken Britain. <laughs> <laughs> but um, solidarity with the uh, strike. Yeah, totally. Um, so we're not going to do an episode next week, are we? It's the New Year special. Yeah, because um, it's that bit in between Christmas and New Year where nothing happens. So So we're going to do our summary of the year. Dun, dun, dun. But till then, bye. Bye. bye.